So when I, if I'm starting a health tech company, find out the health tech founders who are a little bit ahead. If you go too far ahead, like people, you look at these billionaires, like we have a bunch of founder friends who are way ahead and they simply don't relate. The market conditions changed, the marketing landscape changed, the business changed, technology, everything changed so far. Whatever the lessons they have, a lot of times they're not as applicable. But someone who's just ahead of you, they just went through this. They still, the scars are still there. They haven't healed yet. And they truly know how to help. That's a part that I always focus on. Welcome to MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven medtech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with COO and co-founder of NutriSense, Dan Zavrotny. Before starting the company, Dan worked as a healthcare management consultant at KPMG, where he advised Fortune 500 companies in three of the top five hospitals in the country. His company, NutriSense, combines continuous glucose monitoring with personalized dietitian coaching to help people optimize their metabolic health based on real-time data. Here are a few of the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, going direct to consumer brings on its unique challenges, but it's critical to disrupting the healthcare industry. A direct-to-consumer model gets you valuable input on real-life, everyday problems so you can make meaningful improvements to existing infrastructures in a way that drives the space forward. Second, get your product into the hands of your customers as early as possible and be open to receiving feedback that can be used to guide the improvement process. Contrary to popular belief, you may not need high-powered clinical studies backing your product before entering the market. Third, the people you work with can make or break your company, and there are creative ways to get top talent on board with your mission. And it's important to coalesce a diverse team. Having the exact same mindset and skill set as someone else does not guarantee that a particular candidate is going to be the best addition to your tribe. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that we recently released the second volume of MedSider Mentors, which summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last six months or so. Look, it's tough to listen or read every single MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones, but there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Erica Rogers, CEO of Silk Road Medical, Dr. David Albert, founder of AliveCore, and so many others. In addition, as a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medtech and health tech entrepreneurs. Learn more by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. So at the outset of this interview, I recorded uh, your, your bio, a little bit more of a formal bio, but let's hear it from kind of the, the, the proverbial horse's mouth, right? Like, tell us a little bit sure. more about your professional background leading up to uh, uh, co-founding NutriSense. Yeah, my professional background is similar to most. Uh, I came from healthcare consulting, and my job was basically to optimize profitability for hospitals, insurance companies, and medical device manufacturers. That means either grow revenue, find new markets, or cut costs, and the one thing that always bothered me without these is the lack of innovation or it's the marginal innovation or incremental innovation that keeps happening. And even when I saw a lot of companies found in the space, it was always the dilemma of the only people that can really truly start these companies are people who understand the space really well. And they are many times ingrained of not having innovation. 
And so then how do they improve? And it, a lot of times they'll start a company because they saw some new technology that's already invented by some scientists. And they will start a company with that, but only tiny, like 2 3% of it is improvement of what's already there. And the reason they're able to succeed, actually, interestingly enough, from a financial outcome, they succeed. It's because they have all the network. They have all the connections, right? And what I basically thought about is how do we just break it, break it to the extreme extent? And I realized that the way you do that is you take a high risk profile where it's let's kind of ignore the medical industry for a little bit, go directly to consumer. Once we have consumer satisfaction, then it come back to the medical industry and say, hey, look how much how many consumers find value in this. The scientific evidence proven this is efficacy there. Hey, let's work together. Alternatively, the improvements are too small and it's not that interesting and it's not a big enough problem for me to solve. Got it. I love it. I love the kind of the, the, the aspect of kind of going direct to consumer and then potentially like circling back around and, 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 uh, and, and demonstrating and showcasing sort of traction, right? Uh, and re- sort of reintroducing yeah. it. To, to I always tell people like if you – the thing about it is if you look at a lot of the medical industry sales, a lot of it is, hey, how good is your sales team? Was your sales team so good they were able to convince the insurance company, the corporate health company, or corporate wellness program, or the medical hospital to buy? And the irony is that they don't always sell the best products. You know, and if we took a look at the regular space uh, outside of con- you know consumer health or just health in general, you look at Microsoft, right? And there's a thing called Teams. Microsoft Teams is one of the worst pieces of software that exists. <laughs> Yet they're now like 50 times or 100 times bigger than Slack. Why is that? Because they had the already the sales force, they had yeah. the connection, they had everything there, and Slack is now struggling catching up to them. Even though yeah. the product is significantly better, it was a first mover advantage, and this is what we see a lot of times. The incumbents are so ingrained, it is so hard to displace them. So mm-hmm. what do you do? And that's kind of our ambition as well. We look at this a little differently, where I care less about whether this company succeeds or not. I care more about as long, if it gets positive attention in the world, where consumers go, "Wait a minute, that's feasible." Hey, medical industry, why is that not happening? Hmm. Within our industry, to really make drastic change, politicians have to be involved. And only times politicians truly get involved is when masses of people drive for it. Alternatively, you have these micro-improvements happening, and micro-improvements are too small. We need drastic improvements. Yeah, uh, yeah. Certainly, uh, distribution oftentimes uh, trumps Trump's product, right? It does. Uh, in, in the healthcare system. And um, uh, so, so with that kind of that background in mind. And, and we'll certainly get into this in more detail, but can I help us better understand NutriSense at a high level and, sure. and it really how the idea came came about? Sure. So I was in Silicon Valley uh, for a healthcare conference, interestingly enough, right? And I ran into one of my friends who's now my co-founder, and he was wearing a continuous glucose monitor. And I asked him, what are you doing? You're not a diabetic. It's for type 1 diabetics. And he said, I'm hacking my way to improve my health because I have prediabetes. And he said, do you know anything about this? And it just so happened that both my sister's type 1 diabetic, so I've seen this technology improve over the last decade, while simultaneously I worked in healthcare consulting. So I knew everything about the way health in general and industry worked. And so I said, yes, I know a lot. But at first, to be totally frank, I said, why would anyone who's not a type 1 diabetic ever wear this? This is so silly. And he said, why don't you just try it? I put it in my arm, and it just made sense to me. It clicked within a couple hours. And I started judging my judging and adjusting my habits from my nutrition to my stress management to even my improvement in sleep and exercise. It's interesting. People don't people don't realize that, but like having that mind body connection, a lot of times it sounds like woo woo, you know, kind of like fake voodoo. But having a mind body connection between like I ate this, I feel a certain way, 
And then I see that objectively by something like a glucose monitor or even something where it's, hey, you're always stressed to work, but you used to be stressed to work and you, to you becomes your norm and you don't know any difference. But when you're able to visualize that and understand a number around it, it helps you really understand how to improve. And so I understood these factors now and I said, okay, well, how do we bring to the market? And he's like, well, you can't really because this is for type one diabetics. And that's why I said, well, let me figure out if I can put two weeks notice in, quit my job, we started. And I think the interesting part was, you know, being a little bit unusual. He said, okay, there's two jobs when you start, either market or build. What do you want to build a market? And I said, well, I know how to do finance, I know strategy, I know profitability, budgeting. And he said, well, you don't need any of that. I'm like, what do you mean? We can budget for ourselves. Like what? We have no money. We have no, there's no product available yet, right? There's nothing there. There's no, like, what are you budgeting? What are you finance strategizing? So then I said, okay, I'll build. What do I build? He's like, software. Do you know how to write software? I'm like, nope. He's like, all right, well, you got a market. And I said, well, I still need to learn that. And he's like, oh, well, why do I need you here? Because <laughs> I could do that one or that one. And it quickly hit me. Oh, boy. Did I just quit my job for a cool idea? But I don't actually know anything how to run a company. And it was one of those, you know, do or die kind of moments or sink or swim or what is it? You know, they would say. And so it was really about, all right, let's figure out how to market on the internet. And I just got, I typed on Google, how to market an internet. And I think it was a blog that came up with hundreds of options. And I just went through one at a time and said, which ones can I figure out? And then within two weeks, figured out a little bit. I uh, got us to about, I think, $5,000 after two weeks in revenue on the internet. And then next month was like 10, next month 30, next month 50, and just kept going up and up and up. And now we're about 165 people full-time. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Wow. I didn't, I didn't realize the team was, uh, the team was that big. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, awesome. that's awesome. So, cl- so classic kind of like entrepreneurial, like startup story for sure. And so if yeah. I, let, let's yeah. say I've never heard of NutriSense, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's probably a fair number of people yeah, uh, in my audience that, that maybe, well, I've lightly heard of it. They, they probably definitely heard of CGMs or, or, or continuous glucose monitors. But if I'm, let's say I, I, I know, I, I know nothing about it. NutriSense. What what's what's the elevator pitch? What why why elevator pitch is this? Yeah. We really take several factors. We take a digital solution with analytics that we've created, a continuous glucose monitor, and we add expert device advice from a dietitian. We bundle it all together and we help people understand their health in real time so they could both prevent disease from ever happening in the first place, as well as help them manage if something is a problem already, like insulin resistance, like prediabetes, PCOS. Um, and so we have this range of folks for anywhere from pre-diabetics to Olympic athletes to people trying to lose weight. If you think about glucose, glucose is really that measurement that's a proxy for many things. Mm-hmm. So if you have high stress, your cortisol goes up and glucose will jump up, right? If you're not sleeping well, your glucose will be thrown off. If you have actually poor nutrition or you have insulin intolerance, also your glucose will be out of whack. Again, ideal case scenario, we could track these different hormones in real time. Unfortunately, technology is not there yet. I do believe it's going to come in the future. However, in the meantime, this is a proxy that helps you understand some of these factors. Got it. Got it. So, the, so, the, so if I if I'm a if I'm a consumer of, of the NutriSense product or program, I get a CGM. I get you know an app that, that provides you know an analytics layer or informational yep. layer to help me understand what the data means, and then help and then uh, a health coach or a, or a nutritionist to like help yep. me help me make I decisions, almost, help me through that process. Exactly. Got I always talk about like we basically created a My Fitness Pal on steroids, 
and people know my fitness pal it's a food tracker app it's been around for like a decade mm-hmm. we basically created that on steroids where it's not just oh look you tracked your macros this is you ate something you see in real time immediately how you respond to that was that good or bad for you and also right. how good or how bad and then the dietitian comes in and we basically what we did is we scaled a health professional so if you think about it right now, you go to a doctor's visit and you wait and you drive there, you sit in the waiting room for 30 minutes, they come out, they look at you for two minutes and they leave and they tell you, go take blood work and then I'll call you a month later or two weeks later. We've done it at the back end where a dietitian sees your data in real time nonstop. So all they're doing is looking at your data nonstop and providing you feedback all the time on how to improve. So it's not the old school way of like, hey, it looks like you're pre-diabetic or you're overweight. What do I do? And the doctor says, exercise more and eat better. What does that mean? You know, and you have these trends of people saying ketogenic is the best diet in the world. And someone says vegan is the best diet in the world. And people are fighting back and forth. We take that completely out. We actually don't know which is the best diet for everyone. We know the best diet for you mm-hmm. specifically. And that's the key. People forget that due to our microbiome, our genetics, our sex, like our cultural backgrounds, like the foods we eat are so different. And we see this, you know, we look at like to the Irish population versus the African versus the Asian population. And the foods they've consumed and genetically meant to consume just respond completely differently, right? And so people completely forget that factor. Yep. It gets even more fascinating when you look at the female versus male side of things, right? Historically, like fasting is one of the things, popular concepts. Everyone just popped up and everyone's like, fast, fast, fast. Everyone's been talking about intermittent fasting. Interestingly enough, all the studies prove it's so good for you. But then when we look at the data, and this is now just real life data before it even published, thousands of thousands of men do it. It's like effective on like 99% of men. Once you start looking at women, it has more negative effects than positive effects hmm. because naturally their bodies are, main, are meant to keep a little bit more fat for production. Yeah. And on top of that, the stress after 18 hours of fasting for women causes such a cortisol response. So your body actually starts storing more fat and causing more issues. And so people a lot of times are like struggling with fasting because of this. Yeah. And nobody talks about those things. And you start seeing this in real life data. It's fascinating. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, and then, and then just, just to kind of circle back around on, on the, on the product again. So you, you obviously have developed the, the app and, and built out a network of, of nutritionists and health coaches. Um, but the CGM, you're not actually manufacturing a CGM. We don't leverage a CGM. Okay. We're yeah. taking the devices that are out there right now. Got it. We do leverage, there's one more piece. We leverage a third party doctor network to write medical prescriptions off of these states. Got these Devices because they're currently under the scope of medical prescribers and uh, type one diabetics. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. Well, that, that, I, I think that that helps, um, you know, lay, lay a foundation for the rest of the conversation and which, which, and, 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 and probably, uh, you know, serves as a nice segue into, into my next, my next conversation, which is around your success going direct to consumer. And before I, I asked the, the, the question, I remember seeing this, this LinkedIn post, this is probably like maybe a month ago, maybe, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, something like this. And it was from, um, I can't remember who, who posted it, but I, I believe, they mentioned some comments around like, I will, I will like put a stake in the ground that uh, medical device companies sh- should not be going direct to consumer. And I, sure. I remember thinking that's like, I a hundred percent disagree. Right. I mean, granted there's caveats of course. Right. But most, most med tech or health tech companies that go direct to consumer and fail, it's not because the, the channel doesn't work. It's not because consumers aren't interested. It's because you probably don't have product market fit or there's something sure. else going wrong fundamentally with the business. And so Let's let's start there because you've had a tremendous amount of success. The program is is super compelling, right? You're leveraging a medical device and a CGM, but like you're 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 building out sort of the the adjacent kind of like the product to actually make it actionable for a consumer. Yeah. So like let's let's start there. Like talk talk to us a little bit more about 
just that just that model and kind of what you've learned since founding uh, NutriSense, and then like what the, the large opportunity that's ahead, kind of going direct to consumer. Yeah. So I mean, I think the first part is addressing like going direct to consumer, yes or no. The thing about going to consumer, if somebody's going to shell out cash from their pocket, you have to constantly convince them this is good. Mm-hmm. Like you're actually providing value. The moment you stop providing value, people cancel and they ask for the money back. Right. When you go B2B and your company already prepaid for the whole year or has a 10-year contract, even if it's okay, you're still going to use it. Or you might drop it, but you just buy sign up, you forget. It's not your money. So it forces us to truly create innovation that hasn't existed before. Hmm. Right. So from a product perspective, you're becoming a product-like company more than anything else. Even if there is difficulty here, and this is where we talk about product market fit, you may, people always talk about the, you may actually have product market fit. But the distribution does get complex, right? Especially as we see now the challenges with, you know, iOS 14 coming out. And uh, it's hard to target the right consumers. And uh, I don't know if you guys have been following, but Facebook, Google, all these online digital company, companies are starting increasing their cost acquisition for customers. So they're not letting you target as effectively. That is the complexity, right? So the question becomes a lot of times not as much do you have product market fit. You, because that's one of the next early steps. But also... Are you able to market effectively to the right people? When you sell a contract to B2B, yes, your business is successful, but do you actually have value-add product? Here, the challenge is, if you do have value-add because people are paying you, can you market them on a dollar-efficient perspective? Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different challenge. And that's a challenge that you have less control over, right? It's, It's much harder to predict because once you get, if you think about, you know, if you reach out to 100 people, you have five conversions, then you know if you just add more people, you get more conversions. Here, you don't have that. So that that is a dilemma that exists. I agree. But my belief, again, is that whether we succeed pushing this forward or we don't, in many ways, as long as you're advocating for the world to become a better place, other people who may have more leverage, more connections, they'll have to step up. Because what happens, we've seen this now, by the way, insurance companies come to us and they're saying like, hey, we saw this and we're pushing other big corporations to do this too. They were never even thinking about this. But now we're saying Nutrisense is doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. And yes, maybe like, and these corporations reach out to like, how do you guys do it? Because they're not as fast, they're not as mobile. And yes, maybe they'll end up being a big contract. Maybe we don't. But it's forcing them to go to the next level. It's forcing them to innovate, innovate. And it's making those conversations happen earlier and faster because a lot of the decision makers in these other places, they just simply don't know what's feasible. Right. It's because we're talking about this incremental, incremental improvement that we talked about earlier. They just think about how do I make 5% better, 10% better. But when you make that leap of like, hey, let's just completely change this. Because our ambition really look at it this way. We'd like to over time be your health professional in your pocket, right? Theoretically, we think over 80% doctor visits don't need to happen, right? Like what is it, 89 million Americans pre-diabetic? Why? And a lot of it is we as Americans are the best food marketers in the world <laughs> and sometimes very bad food marketers. Think about it. This is a disease of poor decisions around health and lifestyle. People didn't have type 2 diabetes 100 years ago. Unmarried care is native, but it's such a small percentage of population. Now it's one in three. And so how do we flip the model and try to get people to understand this ahead of time? And if that happens, the entire business of healthcare changes. Right? For my last time I read is that U.S. healthcare system is the number one industry in the U.S. And it's mind-blowing. Why? <laughs> what? We spend more per capita than anyone else, and yet people keep getting sicker. And a lot of it is just letting people see their data, letting people own the data. You know, I think the biggest, again, the biggest obstacle here is the game we're really playing as consumers is this. 
do you get enough brand as a company where people just come to you and they have a problem, right? Versus you run out of money, right? right. And those, that's a game you're really playing. Versus if you sold B2B contract, you sold one, you know, you have a billion in revenue a year. Okay, we can't sell a second one. Great. Cut half your cost. Here, you have to constantly re-innovate, re-market, re-target, re-show value over and over and over. And this is like every month you have to come and show more value, more value, more value. Got it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And then just, just on, on, I've got another follow-up question kind of on the, on the same topic, but it reminds me of, a, um, I think it was another podcast I was listening to, um, and Andrew Wilkinson, who runs Tiny Capital, he was, he was a guest, and he mentioned... I think they were actually talking about CGMs. Uh, I'm not sure if he, if he if he's a NutriSense customer or not, but they were talking about CGMs. And he um, he was like, you know, I think everyone in America just needs to understand that, like by default, they're probably pre-diabetic, right? Yep. And it's it's yep. it's a, in, in large part because the, the the food system, you know, right? I mean, it's just it's incredibly hard to uh, find find or eat high quality food, nutrient dense food on a, on a consistent basis, right? So I think you're 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 spot on that. You know, this is. This is a huge, a huge need, right? Uh, people just don't understand this. But on that note, so kind of just, I guess, to, to close the loop on this kind of D to C kind of topic or direct to consumer uh, topic, what would your answer be to that person who I mentioned earlier on LinkedIn that, that posted, you know, companies that operate in the healthcare space should not be going, should not be going direct to consumer. You know, what, what, what's, what's your response to that? And, uh, you know, do you, do you agree? Obviously, I, I presume you disagree with that statement, but like, why, why so? You know, what, what, talk to us a little bit more about just the opportunity that's to be had by, you know, positioning your product, you know, uh, first, first and foremost to consumers. I think it's easy. If you want to disrupt an industry, you have to go consumer. Hmm. Specifically in a healthcare, if you want to disrupt it, if you want marginal improvements, you should go B2B. It is a significantly much harder task to accomplish. And it's what you're here for. If your entire, if your value proposition is to make as much money as possible and increase the likelihood of your company succeeding, great. If your value proposition is to leave a dent in the world, then you go consumer because the amount of products that fail going to B2B and they could be great, but nobody ever finds out about them is enormous. Here, this is the irony of this. Even if we fail, we still succeeded because if you have a hundred thousand people try our product and they love it, and then some B2B company wins because they have more connections and they get a part product that's subpar, they'll always come back and say, Hey, I want a product like that one. And they're pushing a B2B company now up level their skills. And that's what we're trying to force. We're trying to force the industry forward. Because the way I look at it, like, worst case scenario, you all had a great ride and we made some improvements, right? I mean, we could be, I think you know, Scott, like, we could be having our corporate jobs, hanging out, not be very stressed out. The reason why we're sacrificing our health a lot of times working 16 hour days to make a change. There's jobs to pay way more for way less work. Yeah. But we do this because you were a little crazy, right? But also at the same time, uh, we're passionate about what we do. I have never had a job where on Sunday, I I, I can't wait till Monday. Like I'm so excited because I get to my entire team gets to leverage our resources to actually go forward before it's always waiting till Friday, waiting till Friday. And my own people that message me on like Sunday night, like I'm excited for tomorrow is enormous. I highly doubt a lot of B2B companies are doing it. Right. Right. I, lo- I love the framework that if you, that, that, and it's relatively simple, right? It's, it's, if you really want to disrupt something, going direct to consumer is often going to be your, your, the, the best way to do that. Right. That's a good, it's a good framework. And I totally agree with you, man. I, I, um, I've been out of kind of the corporate game for gosh, I mean, probably close to 10 years now. And yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I don't, 
I don't know if I could, I mean, I, I'd be, I'd be hard pressed to, to, to ever, ever go back. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't recall a Sunday where I was actually looking forward to the Monday. Whereas, <laughs> you know, in the opposite scenario, when you're actually involved in kind of early, early stage stuff, it's, it's definitely a lot more energizing, hard, hard work, hard too. work, but yeah. yeah. And we see this, I mean, like even with, you know, like if you look at what Elon Musk did with Tesla, for example, I know it's a different industry, but it's same thing. He stepped away from car dealerships because mm-hmm. they were selling car dealerships, B2B and then those guys took care of everything. Right. And now all of a sudden he goes direct to consumer. He has to make the consumer satisfied. If yep. he doesn't, business gone. What is he going to do after that? Right. And it forces innovation because people, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't invent electric cars. They've been around, but they really didn't take off. Why is that? And then he's forced, he's basically forcing innovation upon others. Mm-hmm. Like yep, you can agree. To, exactly. You can agree, yep. disagree with politics. You can agree, disagree whether other cars are better or not. There's many arguments to be had on each side, but all of a sudden, BMW, Ford, GM, all of a sudden, their cars dramatically got better. How did that happen, right? <laughs> right. It's, you know, all of a sudden, you attention, all of a sudden, like all these oil companies are making green products. Like <laughs> he is pushing them toward that. And so the way I look at him as well, like whether Tesla ends up becoming, the, you know, people always argue, is it valuable? Is it not? I mean, is it over speculation? It's possible. Again, we can go different, different directions, but he is pushing the world in the right direction and it's making other companies feel like I, I need to compete. I need to catch up because they're going to start losing market share. And they have, that's the irony about this all. All those other companies dramatically improved. Wait, what did that innovation come from all of a sudden? Because consumers came and said, I want a Ford, but as good as Tesla. Yeah, totally. No, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I think he's probably doing the same thing at Twitter, right? He's, he's demonstrating that you can probably do more with less, you know, um, yeah. again. Uh, so, so, uh, uh, re- re- repeating kind of the same, the same sort of philosophy of, of, uh, raising the bar, you know, and everyone else is, you know, sort of needs to, needs to catch up. So, um, think, let, let's look, let, oh, go yeah, ahead. I think I want to make sure this is one point I always make clear. And I think it's for all entrepreneurs in general is the part that it took me a little bit, the biggest lesson I got of all entrepreneurship was that it's actually completely fine if a company fails and that you have to accept that fact that it's okay. As long as you're providing innovation in the future forward way. And that's the part people always struggle. They're like, oh my God, what if it fails? It doesn't work out. What if someone else copies you? Fine, let them copy you. But you pushed it forward. And that's the part that took me a long time to accept as a founder. Hmm. And that's the part that actually paralyzes most people from moving forward, making progress. Once you accept that factor, it's much easier to actually almost feel like relieved and take a step forward. Yeah, that's that's such a good point because I I mean I, I'm sure you have the same type of conversations with you know with friends or people in your network that are still at at, at in in uh, you know in a, in a corporate environment and want want to make that jump right want to want to go do a startup or whether it's they start the company themselves or join one and they're waiting for like they're waiting for like the perfect opportunity right or like they're 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 over analyzing a scenario it's like you just have to expect and it, it, it a lot of times this is just learned through you know by, by doing it right and, and failing to your point but just you almost have to set the expectation that I mean like this is likely going to be like, like, like this is likely going to fail, yeah. right? The much higher likelihood that it's going to fail, but yeah. to your point, I'm going to push, push, you know, I'm going to raise the bar myself. Or I'm going to push things forward and, you know, learn a lot, learn a lot, learn a lot along the way, or yeah. definitely more so than I otherwise, otherwise would have. So I love, uh, I love kind of your, your philosophy around that. So on that note, like we're recording this in early 2023, take us mm-hmm. back to like, you know, five years ago when you were, you know, you were, you were first getting this, you know, the, the semblance of this kind of this product together. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm making the assumption. I think it's probably accurate. The news, the NutriSense product, right, that you're offering consumers today, looks very different than what that yep. what, than what it looked like, you know, <laughs> yeah. back in early 2018. Yeah. So the reason I, I bring this up is that a lot of entrepreneurs, like they just they get stuck in this in this early phase, right, where they're trying to either perfect their idea 
or maybe they don't know how to um, to basically get enough insights from 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 customers, right? Whether it's you know it's clinicians or consumers to like just get some semblance of an MVP going. So take us back to that time and like you know would you do anything different or what what do you what do you think you got right sure. in those early days or you know if you, if you had the chance to kind of rewind, would you do anything uh, sure. uh, differently? Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.